Hello and welcome to another Climate Crisis Conversation. I'm Verity Sharp and hot on the heels of Greta Thunberg's inspirational trip across the Atlantic and the fast approaching global climate strike where the youth movement is calling on the world to support their increasing calls for change on the 20th of September this year. We are in this episode going to hear directly from one of those who've been at the front line in their locality of Bath in England. Her name is Sophia Thornton. She was awakened, as she says in this conversation, to the enormity of the climate crisis when she was in year 12, which in the UK means she was about 17 years old. And she's also a founder member of the Bath Youth Climate Alliance. Now, Sophia has, believe me, a remarkable self-awareness as well as the ability to contextualise and connect some of the biggest challenges that we're facing at the moment. And then not only to find ways to express the emotion of all that, but to harness that emotion, recognise its power and turn it into a force for good. So here she is, Sophia Thornton, in conversation with Caroline Hickman. Hi, Sophia. Hello. Opening question. What is it like being 19 years old today and being aware of the climate emergency? I think to be a young person, like right now, in this moment, is to be in an almost continuous state of deep questioning. Mm -hmm. It kind of brings a bit of an existential crisis on me, I think, personally, because... Once you start to realise that everything that seemed so stable and secure and normal is perhaps not so and will not be so in the near future, you kind of end up questioning pretty much everything, I think, about and questioning your own values and seeing yourself as independent of other people's beliefs and views and like people I regarded as figures of authority and they know what they're doing it's kind of both liberating we're all equal and we're all a bit stuck in a mess but also terrifying when you realize maybe no one knows what they're doing right so you're you're sort of saying that up until this point you more or less maybe not over everything but you more or less trusted adults yes yes and I think I saw myself as kind of hoping to join the good guys at some point having like done everything I needed to do and gone to university and then maybe you know I joined Greenpeace and that'd mm. be how I helped but now it's kind of it, in a strange way it's positive in the sense that I've realized I can have a voice and listening to other young people like at the strikes speaking so eloquently and so truthfully mm. yeah there's a sense of kind of reassessing where we're at and what what stopped us speaking before mm-hmm It sounds to me like it's much more complicated for you being 19 than it was for me being 19. Perhaps. Yes, I guess I don't know any different. I certainly look back to, like, before knowing about, like, the climate crisis and childhood with some nostalgia. Right. But... Tell me about that. That's interesting. Tell me. uh, That's only more recently, I think... um, I mean, perhaps I look back to that and see that state of being quite so present. I guess every kid is pretty present when they're young, right? yeah. kind of hopefully enjoying just being to some extent. And as much as I now feel 
much more like an independent human being doing things in the world like I'm I'm acting I'm part of the world sure I do also think a state of appreciation and just like a lot of my drive I've realized through my art actually comes from just a love like a deep love and connection to just living and breathing in in nature and outdoors and mm. so that kind of both is nostalgia but that also drives me and I don't have any sense of loss really for that while I view it with nostalgia I don't feel like I've lost out I know that I feel that's an interesting like view of adults perhaps that maybe people feel sorry for young people that they have to face this future but I don't it's more the loss of others, the suffering of others that mm-hmm. drives me than, like, yeah. my own personal sense of anguish that what my life will be. Right. It's kind of a societal thing. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's personal connect. Like, we could lose connectivity. Like, social collapse is a, is a big concept coming to mind. And Yeah. These are phenomenally big questions that you're exploring. <laughs> yes. I certainly don't have the answers. <laughs> no. But I think my role as a young person is to maybe I have the opportunity to press a little bit harder for us to question question the system we're living in right. a little bit because I don't have as many responsibilities and I'm not as used to the world in the way it is Sure. so I guess it feels like we can imagine something different mm. I like that I like that idea so you're kind of suggesting that you haven't yet sort of got squashed and uh, worn down by the system yes perhaps although I think you can still imagine alternative futures yes though I think it's it, I could I could easily choose to fit in to right. the system at like fossil fuel consumption plus like it's everywhere but I choose not to but that choice is made easier because it feels like there are front runners I guess like um I don't know if you read the resurgence in ecological magazine like there are people doing amazing things already and Mm -hmm. it feels like I'm gathering as a young person kind of these nuggets of little information of what other people are doing in the world and trying to like put them all together and think oh maybe this is the future not this fossil fuel Mm -hmm. greenhouse gas graph tell me tell me a couple of things that have really inspired you like that I think it's maybe for example, Lush, like mm-hmm. a TNC company, but they did have a magazine, and in their magazine they had um, women working in Africa growing, like, drought-tolerant crops. It's like, I don't know, it's like tiny things, and then a boy who, like, plant he's planted, like, one of the like, 100,000 trees already, like, every, like, and he was 12, and now he's 19, and he's just, like, it's mm. people doing mm. all those little mm. things all the time. It's just the idea there are good people in the world. Most people are good people and they want they want the same thing. Well, it's just how we get there. <laughs> how we get to happiness, I guess. So people so people doing small things is good. Yeah. Um, and actually these are not so small, are they? No. Um, and putting together all these small things can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's inspired you. Do you think there are people that you've inspired? I know you've talked to me about your parents and the impact you've had on them. <laughs> I'm not sure if I inspired them. I think well, that I'm, I've only become vegetarian in the last year. Right. And they're also now vegetarian, which is amazing. Um, I think they've been pretty tolerant to me maybe testing ways to convince people. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to know from them at some point, what did I say that made them change their minds? We'll have to ask them. 
Yeah. How to, that would be really useful. We should ask them. We'll what ask was them it? later. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, because I certainly mentioned it quite a lot of times, but yeah, I'm quite interested in that, how people communicate uh-huh. and what, how young people have an influence. You were also telling me about that story um, about the the man you met and what he said to you. Yes. Because <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I was in an Extinction Rebellion, like, climate cafe thing. And it was just at the end, actually, and a man came over to me. And I hadn't spoken to... He'd been part of, like, the circle of people chatting, but I hadn't spoken to him yet. And then he kind of looked me in the eyes, kind of really quite intensely in a way that felt very heartfelt he was probably about I think he was saying he was retired and and he kind of said I'm so so sorry for everything I've done I didn't I didn't realize what I was doing and I will do everything in my power before I die to try and stop this and I think that was an amazingly powerful vulnerable moving moment and I think it is moments like that or like when I'm a, like when I'm on the strikes and then you know somebody comes over and you pass them a leaflet and you're like oh, how are they going to respond am I going to have to defend my position mm. and they just kind of go oh, well done great good on you mm. those are such affirming moments mm. that people are like they might not be standing right next to you mm. but they totally believe in what you're doing and they support you mm. so I think yeah giving like older generations and all generations giving young people that confidence and also like within the community of like young people who kind of can connect and like when we have the we have the open mics at the strikes yeah which I was a bit dubious of at first thinking who's really going to come up here and Mm. speak in front of everyone and then suddenly the more we did it people came up with these like beautiful poems and speeches and um I think what's lovely is you're describing a little bit now about the experience of being on the strikes. And I'd kind of like to hear a little bit more about what it's like for you organising the strikes, being on the strikes, you know. I guess I'm getting a bit used to the both the organising and the emotional mm. journey. So it's mm. it kind of... Obviously, we meet um, every other Tuesday as a group of our Youth Climb Alliance um, and... There's always wild, fun ideas. Um, I mean, one of our potential ideas is... I don't know whether to say it now. Yeah. Potential potential yeah. boat, ocean-themed kind of tides arising mm-hmm. action. Um, and I'm always surprised by, like... I mean, I think I said this about London too, but we're coming together with an ecological and climate crisis with facts surrounding us like... 99% of coral reefs will decline by two degrees and like rubbish truck of plastic in the ocean every minute and like all that like we're coming together because we're like compounded essentially by a kind of fear of the future yeah and yeah in the room there's always so much like energy mm. and enthusiasm and laughter mm. and like in some ways it could feel kind of you know we should all be there somberly but actually it feels like I always come out of the meetings feeling like what well, like, that must be the most useful way I could have used my time in the last like I don't know, every two weeks, I feel like that's the most useful thing I can do. And the same way in London, like, this isn't the strikes, but having dived in on an uncertain train journey there, kind of come out of the day, like, wow, mm. that was a useful day in my existence. <laughs> so the same thing happens on the strikes. Like, there's always, like, stress and, like, trying to, you know, organise the route and liaison with the police and... Mm. Are we going to get everyone there? Have we got the music? Mm. You know, it's all this stuff. Who's carrying the speaker? It's just all these mundane things you have to think about. 
but then it's just incredible when it happens and all comes together and it feels like wow this is these are worthwhile few hours and I remember these I'll remember these like (laughs) if I'm still alive in 12 years (laughs) after social clubs I don't know um and then yeah and then afterwards it's always strange because it's always um everyone kind of disperses and then I think there's always like the rest of the day I feel I'm pretty much in kind of amazement and shock at what we've done and we always normally go to like a cafe or something and debrief Mm. chill for a little bit because I think sometimes that's useful Definitely. Even though we need to be acting um, a lot. We need to be acting a lot, but you also seem to be saying you also need to take care of each other's feelings, you need to support mm-hmm. each other. Because otherwise, to... what are we fighting for? Right. Like, if, yeah. we, if we were to do it, I guess, in a really destructive kind of militant, oh, we've got to do this, like, I guess the point of doing anything about climate change is because we're going to be ultimately end up suffering. There's, there's le- we're going to be drastically less happy there's going to be drastically more deaths if we don't like do anything about it so we've got to work as if we're living in that way we already want we want we're working towards Mm -hmm. like if we like regenerative culture as well which is Mm -hmm. an extinction rebellion thing but i think the same feeling comes into bath youth climate alliance like yeah we have to build the community we want people to emulate everywhere Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a tiny example yeah, where on. I'm rambling on. You're not. <laughs> we do an amazing thing. I Well, I, I just think this is great. At the beginning of Bath Youth Climate Alliance and Extinction Rebellion, where we just go around the circle and kind of say how you're feeling right. in that time. And it's just like a tiny add-on to like what your name is. But I think giving people a space is just really empowering. I don't know. It's a tiny thing. But that's like when you see like a little youth climate strike poster somewhere or you're walking around town it's like that moment of like oh it's like your community yeah and I guess we're trying to spread that to everyone because it's not a one-sided thing Mm -hmm. which is what we're trying to emphasize like extinction isn't really gonna benefit anyone you know or like no no one wants extinction none of us want any of these horrible things that are really hard to face so yeah we're doing it for you kind of thing doing it for well we're doing it as much as like we're fearful, so we're acting out of our own fear. It's fear for other people and how other people are going to cope. Yeah. In a global community, which is really hard to imagine and contemplate, but I think mm-hmm. there is that idea of global community. Yeah. So in a way, you embody that. I guess we try to with our little tiny community. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you also, and the other thing I like hearing you talk about there is that sense of belonging. Yes. <laughs> That, I think, has been the most profound thing I have discovered to be missing, perhaps, in the way I was living before I Mm. started doing the strikes and joining Extinction Rebellion. Mm. Because, and again, it exists... I think I've realised I believed in the idea of tiny acts of kindness and supporting one another, but perhaps I hadn't, like, um, seen them enough or just done them enough because then I went to like this is back in London and I was just amazed by like I was walking around leafleting yeah kind of quite tired because I'm facing people who are a bit kind of skeptical and then I went to someone to leaflet and then he kind of turned around he turned out he was Extinct Rebellion Mm. and then we had a chat and he offered me some nuts and asked how I was feeling Mm. and was okay and it's in those moments where like the kindness of people extends 
I, I don't know, I can't really summarise it in words, but like all the food donated and just the sense of like love and peace, but not in a, when I say those words, I am aware they immediately become associated with like hippie culture and people might try and sideline those things perhaps. Mm. But I think that truly feeling and experiencing that, and I believe there are things you can only truly like truly feel and experience you can't like just talk about them mm -hmm. makes me want to keep believing in this like community that's growing i think mm -hmm. i'm wondering whether to ask you about the hippie culture uh-huh do you yes. think the hippie culture is uh relevant i think it's really relevant because i think i mean when i say that immediately uh, there's a there's a great sign someone had in london with like not not communist, not like hippie, not like oh something else, but like scientist and scared. Okay. So it's um, I think well, I, well, my opinion is, uh, I have nothing against like what it is to be a hippie. I mean, I don't know if I fully know, but I think it's an easy way for people to disregard the message. Hmm. I think that's really interesting because I think that's also what people do with young people's voices. Mm -hmm. And the youth climate strikers generally, um, and Greta Thunberg, I think people disregard your voices because you're young. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of that? Yes, because we haven't lived enough, and uh, I'm I'm so yeah. hyper aware that I um, like I said, I don't have the answers, and I don't claim to, but uh, we are the alarm system, I guess. Kind of, I feel like I know enough. Yeah. And I've read enough to know something here is deeply wrong and we need to assess what we're doing now mm -hmm. and change what we're doing. And even, interestingly, I think with the term, like, people used to be like, oh, you're such an eco-warrior. Mm -hmm. And I think even that term can be a bit, like, disengaging for people or even, like, belittling, like, the movement itself because... Ultimately, everyone, surely at their core, are eco warriors. Like, eco isn't, it's as if the environment is separate. Like, yeah. it, it comes into economics, right? Like, the economic system doesn't survive outside of the environment, it's within our environment. Mm -hmm. And, like, the terminology, I think, of like nature, environment, all these things seem quite, they feel quite disconnected. And, like, environment is just the place where we live, and we all live in the same place. Mm -hmm. So, as much as the, there is no planet B and kind of, Mottos can, I feel, wear a bit thin on people if they hear them over and over again. Yeah. Ultimately, we're all connected to the earth because we're all breathing the same air that's being sick. You know, the oceans are all one, like, we're in an enclosed system in a way, which feels a bit more claustrophobic. Like, we're all enclosing it together. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, I don't know. No, so perhaps I don't want to be seen as an eco-warrior anymore. Kind of, um, I don't know survival warrior <laughs> let's not go extinct i don't know the message is so much more universal yeah maybe it's about being a human being in connection with the rest of the planet yeah maybe those labels are just used to dismiss and uh disavow feelings that are uncomfortable or messages that people don't want to hear Maybe we mm -hmm. just forget the labels. Yeah, I think that'd be good. Or or feel empowered by the label. It's like a well, yeah, we do can a claim thing. it back. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing with Extinction Rebellion, isn't it? So, it's membership, and right. everyone's a member if they want to be. 
So what's wrong with being a, you know, a hippie eco-warrior? Yeah, there's nothing wrong. You have to be yourself. You have to be yourself because everyone is part of it. And I remember seeing, um, yeah, there was like, I was surprised and I was shocked that I was surprised. But there was also a guy um, who'd locked himself onto the bottom of the pink boat in London Mm. and he was dressed in all like a business suit and business attire and it's like ah we need everyone here like you're represent like you're you're one person representing I don't know the business world or like Mm. it just he looked out of place but it made me realize this really is for everyone yeah and we need more people to kind of step in as who they are Mm -hmm. not to adopt some new identity but to just because then other people will see them and realize they can step up to you know I think that's something I've been thinking a lot about because we've known each other a while we have yeah <laughs> yes. each other years do you want to say how we first met and what that was yeah. like and basically I went came to Bath University mm-hmm. with a friend I think actually to um listen to a talk which you were one of the speakers at um, called How to Tackle Climate Change. I think it was Combat Climate Change. Yeah, was it like three years ago? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So I came along and I think I reached a... Like some... I think I described it as a tipping point within me mm-hmm. where I realised or began a process of realisation of what climate change was and I think more than anything I came up with a deep feeling of needing to act. Mm. And then I met you because mm. I came to you to ask, you what can I do? Essentially, I think was my question. Like, because I remember you had your project with um, the whales, and you were talking about engaging with primary school children. Yeah. Um, and planting was it crocuses yeah. in the shape of a whale? Mm. And I think that story and the simple action that you'd taken seemed something I could do. Right. In contrasting, I was saying to like the graphs and the exponential like carbon emission growth. Mm. Um, as like a, I think it must have been year 12 maybe then. I felt like I could do something and then we began to talk about mm-hmm. it and then you said I could come into your school mm-hmm. and then yeah, we organised that and mm-hmm. you came in with, um, I think it was a scientist and... A chemical engineer yeah. and a scientist, yeah. And did an amazing talk in front of like loads of people from my school who came and saw and teachers too. I think um, they made it a compulsory lesson for geography or something. Yes, <laughs> that did help. Yeah, it was on show my homework. Yeah, <laughs> so the room's full. Yeah. Yeah, so that was good. And maybe a lot of people feel this too, like you can't just hold all these like feelings that you need to act and worry and concern within yourself. Yeah. That you have. It's almost like therapeutic to start doing in mm. a way. Like mm. it's going to be so much more destructive if you just hold in all this anguish at least spread the anguish and then we can all hold the anguish and work out what to do with it <laughs> and how to how to yeah tackle climate change which still I'm not quite yeah sure how to but I think I'm beginning to find the more I do the more I find yeah maybe the little thing I can do yeah I don't think it's so small the things that you're doing to be honest the reason I wanted you to tell your story a little bit is because I I wanted you to sort of talk about how the years it's taken for you to reach this uh, point yes. of deep questioning. And, and you've just done a year of art. Yes. In which you've questioned this even more, haven't you? I think, yes, that's massively helped as well. Um, well, I certainly began the year in a place where I had not... Uh, found it a little bit easier to not surround myself with 
a lot of the climate like crisis issues but aware they're going on sure and I guess at some point luckily in my case my kind of I extended my reading a bit more I thought I'm going to get back involved in like this issue because I think it is really important Mm. I said at the beginning of the year not realizing it's not just like an important issue in the same way that you know when I like ran eco group with like a friend like it's not just an it's so much beyond that Mm. it's it's hard to it's not a hobby is it to tackle like climate change but anyway I think that takes time everything takes time to realize and everyone has their own journey through that but anyway um I think the second kind of tipping point moment I probably reached was um both at the rebellion week in London mm-hmm. and also I think I've been helped through my um final piece art project where I, I kind of pose myself a deep question like why do I even care like, why do mm-hmm. I do anything mm-hmm. and what does the climate crisis actually feel like mm-hmm. so I was thinking well I know the facts and I feel like I'm starting to do something so why mm-hmm. so yeah it's a bit difficult to describe but I did a film where I kind of explored a returning to in some ways it was kind of linked to childhood kind of being in the landscape giving time to I guess just kind of existing in a in the outdoors and it was all kind of related to this woodland which I kept returning to whenever I got stuck in my artwork I kind of noticed at the end I was like oh I think I should film everything kind of in the woodland and then back coming back to the college because my process, the way I understand things is through kind of reading and learning and trying to make things and then getting stuck and then I just return to the forest, I go on a walk, I go and look at the view and like it felt like the forest was full of ideas, inspiration, poetic meaning. So then my whole piece kind of became the process by which I like move forward with my ideas and try and come to like another level of understanding so I guess like it was almost like all about deep questioning in some kind of way I was kind of um but anyway I was in these sticks I'd found from this bonfire because uh, I noticed there's kind of bonfires in quite a lot of forests there's always a fire I kind of like to make some kind of mark on the landscape mm-hmm. anyway it goes on so it was to do with carbon as well and I did performance in the sticks um, I kind of moved with them and I was like lay on some logs and I kind of wanted some risk as well because it uh, so I did some lying on climbing up trees and then holding a difficult position mm. try and kind of both being quite aesthetic but also I like the way it was just the gentle kind of me breathing it was all bringing me into the present moment which can feel something which maybe doesn't happen when you're looking at climate change all the time because it's all about the future risks perhaps so it was kind of bringing me back to why I'm why I'm acting and doing things to try and prevent things in the future yeah I like the way you come back to the deep questioning in relation to your art yeah well I only realized that as I said did you (laughs) sorry carry on (laughs) excellent so we had a moment of insight (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah but you passed anyway so it's cool Yeah. yeah 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 there's something I want you just to talk a little bit about, because I know we talked about it before, that you've made the decision um, that you're going to fly this summer because yep. you're going to go off and do something good. Yeah, yeah. still feeling guilty about that, but yeah. <laughs> I know, but we've talked about that. Yeah. And you, you're going to go and save turtles, Yeah, which is a good thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. But you've also decided this is your last flight that you're ever going to take. Yes. That doesn't feel like too much of a sacrifice to me. Yeah. Because it's come to the point where I can just see it's so wrong to fly. You know, I think I was... I don't know if this statistic is entirely correct, but I was reading that around like 3% of the population are kind of flying around the world. It's a minority... To believe that flying is normal mm. is... And we should be doing it all the time. Yeah. I think it's a pretty, you know, recent thing. And it just feels so morally unacceptable, really, to be emitting carbon when you know, I live in the UK that has a big, like, industrial past. I know my lifestyle is probably quite high carbon, even if I try and limit it. Mm. It's just... I can't morally live with that. Mm-hmm. And I just, it feels, imp- I think I say it feels empowering to make the choice not to fly, not like a loss really at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. It feels like I'm owning what I believe be right in my identity. And actually that's, that's mm-hmm. the way I want to live. I really admire you for that decision. I also really like the way you've thought about that decision. Again, it's not a impulsive decision. You've thought it through. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And you've also made another big decision that you've decided you will get arrested. Yes. During the next... That might be news to my parents just there, but that's fine. (laughs) No, it's fine. It's fine. I know. I think they do know. I think they do know. Yeah, or at least I think I've given myself the thought that that is definitely... um, I'm happy to do that in this moment. Right. If it comes to it in the moment and that doesn't feel right. You know, I can. St- I know I have to like forgive myself and still be able to pull out. But mm-hmm. having been to London, I could have got arrested. I took myself out of that position. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in it again, I won't take myself out of that position. Mm. I guess. Mm. But yes, yeah, sorry. Carry on. <laughs> well, no, you were talking about what I wanted you to talk about, which is, you know, the process of thinking you've gone through to make that decision. Mm-hmm. That it's not a spontaneous decision. It's not no. something that you've just decided in the moment. Um, I think, yeah, that would be the worst impression for anyone to have of anyone getting arrested as well. You know, people aren't getting arrested because it's a jolly. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like a long process of really thinking, like, how much does this matter? And I think, you know, as well as the theory around, um, you know, a certain number of people get arrested and then political action is taken, it's like, if you watch a friend get arrested, you'll see that's a pretty emotional and kind of, you know, a part of you goes out to that person as they get arrested. So it's a it's a pretty big thing to do. Mm. And I think, yeah, to recognise that is really important. Mm. Um, because that's part of it. Like, I am willing to do this mm. really big, scary thing I never thought I'd do in my life. Mm. Because this is how much it means to me. Right. I think. And I know one of the other things that we've talked about on and off over, you know, recent weeks is you know, how young people and older people kind of really need to work together to deal with this. And we may have different perspectives and we may be coming at it from different angles. But there's something about just having these conversations that I think is really important. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, it's recognising that other people... Other people, I think, always amaze me with their skills and kindness. Well, that Mm. might sound cheesy or cliche, I think, until the more I realise maybe I've been a bit cynical of that until, you know, like the man in the cafe, like, offers, you know, his basically never-ending action until he dies because he's realised what's happened. Or when listening to... um, 
I don't know, people at the strike and all the generations in Extinction Rebellion, kind of everyone has so many skills to tackle this crisis. If mm. only we just looked at the climate crisis as our one focus, I'm, I think we could definitely solve it. Like, mm. There's so many people with so many skills. What do you mean by solve it? Solve it. Or what would that look well, like? Well, I know, I know 1.5 degrees is already set in, right, or something, mm. or it's already locked mm. in. Um, solving. I mean, I don't, I don't think we'll suddenly live in a happy utopia where everyone, like, you know, and where that could come across as a naive belief. It's more to draw on what we can see in history and the, like, Roger Hallam has, like, drawn on his, through his social research kind of how social progression happens. It feels like, could this be a moment to really learn from history and kind of mm -hmm. try and take on some of those values of community and mm -hmm. connectivity and working out what really makes us happy and kind of we've pushed ourselves it feels quite well within a system that's kind of growth and working harder to earn more to do better it's like we've pushed ourselves to the limit as much as we've pushed our plan to the limit you know people mm -hmm. I feel quite like that system is quite intense and not very helpful and not not mm. something we want anymore so I don't know what the future would look like, but it would certainly be built on some values that aren't growth in a monetary sense, GDP and kind of com competition, but like empathy, connectivity and community. And I think those things sound soft or naive or cliche until you feel their power. And that's what I felt in London. <laughs> If anyone has the question of why should we listen to children and young people about the climate emergency, Sophia, to be honest, you've just answered that question a few times, to be honest. Thank you. And I <laughs> muddling <love> through. <laughs> I, I, well, if you call that muddling through, then I'm muddling away. <laughs> so I, I think there is no simple answers here. I don't experience you as muddling. I experience you as exploring, questioning, really working and to understand these things at a deep level and not treating them lightly, but treating them with respect. Um, and I have huge respect for that. So thank you. Thank you. So there you go, Sophia Thornton in conversation with Caroline Hickman. Climate Crisis Conversations is brought to you by the Climate Psychology Alliance in association with Parity Audio. I'm Verity Sharp. Join us again soon.